If you're new, my name's Todd. I'm one of the pastors here. I do most of the preaching and teaching in Ankeny. And uh, it's just looking forward to spending some time with you today in the Word of God. And hopefully a little longer than usual. No, not in the preaching, but in the barbecue. Amen. So stay around afterwards. Let's have some good food together and fellowship. I'm convinced that pride finds its avenues in two ways, primarily. And I speak about this from a Western mindset, all right? I have very limited experience in any kind of Eastern cultures. I've visited other countries, but not enough to know really how they operate there. But as a Westerner, I'm convinced pride finds avenues into our life through two primary ways. First of all, and I think James bears this out, words. We love to be heard in America, don't we? We've got to say what we think. I'm going to get this out, and you're going to listen. It's almost as if we think the freedom of speech is the, the, the uh, force to listen, kind of, you know what I'm saying? We, if we're speaking, you have to listen almost. And pride can find an avenue in our words. I also think, now watch me here, pride can find an avenue to kind of get into our life in our plans, especially in this culture. I mean, we wake up, most people, with agendas. We're ready to get the day going. We want to get something done. And I'm not knocking productivity or efficiency or ambition. But I do think it's interesting that several times Paul warns us against what kind of ambition. Say it with me. Selfish ambition. The kind in which it says, hey, my day is all that matters. I'm going to get done what I want to get done and don't get in my way. And if we're not careful, our plans can actually be an avenue for pride to creep in. Even in the most humorous and small situations. I remember one time when I was in line at the Ankeny Theaters. No, not the one called Springwood. But where we used to meet as a church. And now what is known as Ankeny Christian Academy. We first moved here. Brett and Bethany were both small. And Space Jam had just come out. Remember the movie? Yeah. By the way, I think it's a great movie. So we couldn't wait to go see it. I think Michael Jordan may have been in his heyday. So it was all over America. We load up in the car, just us three. We're going to go to the movie. We're standing in front of the Ankeny Christian Academy as it is now. But back then there was a ticket window. It was called, I believe, Paramount Theaters, maybe. I'm not sure what it's called. But it was a long line. We're standing there. We get to the ticket window. And there was a lady. I don't know all the details. All I know is, it, you know how sometimes lines can be like three or four wide and they merge? And you just kind of wait and see who's going to, you know... You want to be polite, but you're like, I want to be next. You kind of have this battle going on. I think, and Brett can correct me, and Bethany could too, but for some reason, there was, a, there was four of us. And, and so I looked at us three, and then she was there by herself. And so I just said, go ahead, help yourself. You know, like that's what a good pastor would do, right? Of course. <laughs> that's what a good dad would do. Well, she gets to the window, and, and I remember overhearing she bought a ticket. She left, and so I stepped up. I said, three for Space Jam, and she said, we just sold our last ticket. Now, I've got two little kids who are learning what it means to be selfless, right? And I'm thinking, I've got to model this, uh, okay. And so I'm, oh, well, I understand. When's the next show? And they're like, why, why, we can't go? No tickets, you know, and this is not what we planned. 
I'm thinking, you're right. We didn't plan to come to the show and defer to another person. We planned to come to the show at this time and go. That's what our plans were. And so she said the next show time. I said, we'll just get those tickets. And so I bought the tickets. I said, hey, kids, we got to wait till the next show. We do. And it went okay. But it was amazing as I recall that situation, the amount of intensity I was feeling to try to figure out a way to get my way. Have you ever been in those situations? You can do it like this. Go. That means yes in American language. You're all being really proud right now, I'm telling you. You've all been there when something didn't go like you wanted it to go, like you had planned, maybe even something as small and as comical as a movie. And it immediately began to be an avenue for pride to creep in. In that moment, I remember thinking, well, if I, if I push this back and I go to the 4 o'clock show, that means I've got to call so-and-so and arrange that and rearrange this and tell Julie. Because we leave such little margin off in our life, do we? And, and so it just becomes a, a domino effect often. And that just sometimes brings up the angst. And we start thinking, well, I'm going to get what I need now because I can't. And you, you've been there. You fought that. Now, I didn't say that that situation itself was pride, what did I say to you? It can be an avenue for pride. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Because the devil loves to use many good things to twist our thinking and make us then turn them into evil things and with evil desires. I was thinking today, I was even talking to one of you just a few minutes ago. He said to me this, he said, if I had planned it, I would never have organized my spiritual growth in this way. He was talking about how he's grown closer to God in the last several months, and it was out of a job loss. And he said, his words were, I would have never planned it this way. Of course we wouldn't have. We don't plan things that are difficult for ourselves, do we? I was thinking about Last July, when we were in Chicago visiting Brett and Mary, and I got a call from my sister that she was in the hospital and not doing well at all. It was the beginning of our sabbatical. We had a six-week sabbatical you guys gifted to us. It was, a, it, was a, it was a great gift. We didn't deserve it at all, but you guys just gave it to us. It was beautiful. And I was about to spend a week just uh, doing some things and study and prep, and, and then my mom called and said, Hey, Kim's not doing well at all. Can, can you give us some of that time. I wrote the elders, I think it was, and said, hey, I need to make some adjustments. But I wasn't planning to spend a week or so in Chattanooga. Did you know that? My wife ended up going to my sister's house and just doing days of work and cleaning and doing things that Kim couldn't do because she was in the hospital. That wasn't in our plans. Brooke and Brand are having to maintain home on the, alone. I guess, what, three or four or five by now? Whatever movie they're in, right? I mean, they're managing that here in Ankeny. None of that was on our radar. With me? There's even harder things and larger issues that happen. Some of you this year, you weren't planning on that person dying, were you? Mia was not planning to wake up and think about Bob's death. She was planning for a walk that day. Did you know that? She comes at 10.30 usually, I think, Mia Pala. Oh, there she is. I'm sorry, Mia. I may have got those details wrong, but I think in some of the story there's something about a walk that day and trying to, like a call. I'm not sure, but that wasn't what she was planning for. Jace was planning to enjoy a day four-wheeling with his son. 
You see, it's not just in light, comical situations like a movie that we find, oh, this is not what I planned. It can be in some of the deepest waters of your life that you realize this, this is not what I planned for today. It, it brings to mind something Solomon said. In fact, would you read this verse out loud with me? We're not going to stay here, but this verse really would help open our hearts to what James would teach us. It's in Proverbs, I believe it's chapter 19. Look at verse 21. Would you read it out loud with me? Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Now notice in this verse, before we leave it, something that you'll see in James. This verse does not prohibit planning. It does not say plans are evil, nor that it's bad for men to plan. It simply says that man's plans come under what? God's purpose. But in our Western uh, mindset, often we say, hey God, here's my plans. I hope your purpose fits. Don't we? With that in mind, look at James 4, would you? In these five verses that close out this chapter... James addresses this very situation. How pride can creep in, how it can find planning your day to be, if we're not careful, an avenue for pride. You say, Todd, how do you draw that? Because the whole context of this chapter is about the pride that causes quarrels and fights. This is what I think is the first illustration of verses 1 through 12 of chapter 4. When he talked about what causes quarrels and fights, it's the pride within us. He talked about how really the way to to fight that is through a repentant, humble spirit, broken about our sin, humbling ourselves before God. He then says that will show up first in our words and how we speak to each other. And then I think in verse 13 he says, here's an illustration of how those kinds of words, how what we say can help you fight pride, especially in how you plan your day. So today could be, again, a very shoe-leather theology kind of day. It's very practical in what he says in these next five verses. In fact, I believe verses 13 through 17 are the first illustration of how we can fight pride. I believe chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 are the second illustration. This is one of those maybe unfortunate chapter breaks. You say, why do you think that, Todd? Look at verse 13, the first two words. What are they saying with me? Come now. Look at 5.1. What are the first two words? Say it with me, would you? Come now. I think there are, they are two illustrations of ways in which pride wants to get in and, and root itself in our life. And he's saying, hey, let's talk about this. How can we exhibit humility and fight pride even in something as simple as planning your day? Let's read together James 4.13 through 17. We'll look at the next illustration next week. Here's this one specifically about planning. He says in verse 13, and I'll just read here. You follow on the screen if you have your Bible with you. This will hopefully kind of show you how this works. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. A very confident, uh, capitalistic mindset, wouldn't you say? Here's what we are going to do. Yet, James says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Don't you love the contrast between them saying, we're going to spend a year there, and James says, you don't know really what tomorrow will bring, much less next year. 
You're thinking it's going to bring a profit. I just want you to think about tomorrow. You may not even know what the, the next sunrise will call for. He says, what is your life? Now he's going to answer the question. He says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, and that's in contrast with what they were saying, remember? You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now notice something here, I'll say more in a moment. But James does not really change what they say, he simply adjusts the prefacing of it. Do you catch that? James is alluding, I think, when he says the phrase, we will live and do this or that, it's similar to the idea of going to a city spending a year there and trading and making a profit. I don't think he's knocking their plans. He's knocking their arrogance. He's not knocking a profit. He's not saying, don't go to the city, don't engage in business. He's not saying that. He's saying the assumption that we're going to do that for a year because, after all, that's what we do. The, the pride behind that, the arrogance, that's what he's warning us And he's saying the way to to wage war against that is to preface your plans with, if the Lord wills. Verse 16 just basically says this, look at this. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. It's a reference, I believe, back to verse 13, in which they're making these great statements that include these great plans about what they're going to do. And then he says in verse 17, a verse that could be possibly the most mistranslated or misunderstood or most misinterpreted verse in the Bible. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Man, I have used this verse as a poll on people to beat them up, and I've had it used on me to beat me up, okay? Someone would say, hey, that's the right thing. And the Bible says that if you do the right thing, you don't do it, it's sin, And it's like, oh, what's the right thing? It's whatever he thinks the right thing is. And now he's got this verse to use to bam me with. Oh, man, so I guess I better do the right thing. He said it was the right thing. And this verse says, if you don't do the right thing, you don't do it, it's sin. But that's not what James is doing here. James isn't just thinking of this massive category of things. He's thinking about the, the attitude of saying, the Lord's will is more important than my way. That's the right thing he's talking about here. And when we don't do that, when we don't bring our plans underneath God's will, we sin. Does that text make sense now? It's not hard to understand, is it? Let me see if I can give it to you in an outline kind of way, all right? couple of words that might help you kind of grab the text a little better. Some of us are sequential thinkers. We see things in that way. Here's kind of some ways to see this text. First of all, I think there is a contrast in this text, and I think there is a command in this text. 13 through 16 are really all about the contrast. We'll look at those for a few minutes. 17 is all about the command. When I'm done with those, we'll take a few questions, and I hope maybe two or three today, hopefully, and we'll end with a challenge, Okay. So notice the contrast, first of all. Just make a note of these. They're not hard to spot. I simply wrote them out for you so you could at least see them. The contrast here are basically we will versus God's will. Do you see that in the text? See verse 13? We will do this. But he says in verse 
15 that we should say instead, if the Lord wills. It's a contrast there. There's also a contrast between what they were saying. This is my favorite one, by the way. You who say, and then he kind of, they, they kind of lay their plans out. And then he says, but you actually do not know. <laughs> it's like, you act like you're really smart. Hey, we're going to do this or that. But he says, actually, you don't even really know what you're going to do. You say one thing, but the truth is, you don't even know what tomorrow actually is going to bring. I mean, James has an interesting way in this text, by the way, of putting man in his, in his place. He first of all says, you, you say you know what you're going to do the next year, but you really don't know that. And then he calls these people, he says, your life is a mist and you're, you just vanish. You're here for a time and you vanish. He really kind of lowers their um, necessity. So we see at least two contrasts. We also see a contrast between, notice this, spending a year, and then he calls them and says, you know, you have a little time here. So here's what's really happening. I think, in, in essence, one of the main contrasts is between longevity and brevity. Another contrast would be between humility and arrogance. And how in this text, in this illustration, is that showing up? James is saying it's showing up in how you plan your day or your week or your year and how you go about speaking about your plans. And again, James is not saying that the plans are the problem. He's not saying that, that ideas and ambition are evil. He's saying the way you go about them is the problem here, that you have this arrogance and this pride and that you control everything. And the truth is, James is saying, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You're just a mist. You're going to vanish in no time. Here's what you should say. And now here's the command. You should say... If the Lord wills, then we'll live and do this and that. This is the right thing talked about in verse 17, all right? In fact, I simply kind of worded it like this. The command is actually to humble yourself under God's will. So, so I don't really have a, 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 uh, an incredibly new twist on this. I don't have some un a yet-to-be-discovered idea. I'm simply saying to you that James is echoing again that pride can creep in in all kinds of ways, and in this case, even in our planning. And he's saying this, one of the ways to humble yourself under God's will is to actually verbalize it and say, if the Lord wills, we will, and then lay your plans out. As opposed to extracting the phrase, if the Lord's wills, and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this. There's a big difference in those two, James is saying. And it shows the heart. What the phrase, if the Lord's will, or if the Lord wills, what this command is doing is it's, it's, it's helping us position ourselves under our true authority. And when we verbalize that, then we understand our rightful place, that our way is underneath God's will. Now listen very carefully before I take a few questions. I'm not sure you've had any texted in yet. It might seem kind of quick to you, but uh, this text isn't hard to understand. One thing I want to say to you is that this is a command every single Christian is obligated to obey. This is not a wish list or a preference or an option. All right? All of us are to bring our way and subject it to God's will. Now here's the deal. Listen very carefully. 
You are nodding right now that you agree with that. But you'll fight that when it hurts. My guess is every single person here could nod and say, yeah, Todd, I know what you mean. Maybe you're not in that situation now currently, but my guess is all of us, to some degree or another, have said, yes, God's will is what matters most. But when it's our turn to experience it, we're like, hey, can I get a pass? I don't like it this time. Can, can, can you nod on that? We, we've been there. And it goes from the smallest of things, like perhaps a movie ticket, and adjusting plans for what show you're going to watch, and all that goes with that, and we laugh, to something as serious as not expecting to lose your son. Yeah. Like, what's God doing in this? I want to admit to you, I don't have answers for all of these questions that come up in our minds when we think about this. All right? I don't have all the answers. I have simply, as your pastor this morning, exhorting you to to get underneath God's will with all of your plans. That's all I'm saying to you. Is it easy? No. Do I get all of it? No. Do I understand all of it? No. But I can read James as clearly as you. And James is saying that Often our plans are an avenue where Satan loves to come in and make us feel like we're in control and we got this. Who can stop me now? He's saying that's an evil heart of pride. That's arrogant. It's boasting. Instead, let's say this. If the Lord wills. And let's bring all of our way underneath God's will. Now, I'm going to talk about this more when we get to the challenge part. But let's first see three words that I think will help us kind of get a handle on this take-home truth. Hope you're texting your questions in. This won't take but a second to refer to, uh, refer to this. Yeah, I'm referring to the take-home truth, which has the word refer in it. Um, there are three words that I think help us get a handle on this concept. The words refer, defer, and prefer. You know, I love words. been waiting all week to kind of lay this on you, Okay. <laughs> But I think in verse 15a, he does say we should verbally and intentionally refer to God's will. He's not saying don't verbalize your plans. He's saying preface your plans. I hope every type A person will hear this. Okay? I'm in that boat rowing with you. And man, sometimes we can have a boatload of dreams and visions and ideas. I don't know that God... Well, I'm positive God doesn't want you to stop those. He's made us to be creative, engineering, ambitious. Those are good things for those who are made that way. But not at His expense. Does that make sense? Not, not in spite of God. We bring all of the way He's made us underneath His authority. We say, the Lord willing, let's do this and that. So I think it's, it's clear. James is saying, refer to God's will. He's saying, defer to God's will. 15b, we'll do this or that. He's saying there could be other plans. God may be doing something different. And so we're going to defer to that first. We're planning this, but if God's will is different, we'll not only refer to that, we'll defer to that. By the way, it's not called God's maybe. (laughs) You ever thought about that? Like, well, I'm going to pray that I'll know God's maybe. 
It's God's will. Amen? And so when that shows up and it happens, we don't just want to refer to it. We want to defer to it and say, this is God's will. I'll come underneath it. And then somewhere in that process, we hopefully would say we prefer God's will. That's why we do the right thing. It's verse 17. Why would we say, oh yes, I have these plans, but they're, they're really all hinged on God's will. You feel strongly about your plans, but you'll actually refer and defer to God's will to the point where you'll do the right thing and prefer God's will. And before everything we say, we'll say, but you know what? As good as I think that is, if God's will is different, man, I prefer God's will. So let the Lord's will be done. And all of this is kind of involved in the idea of Lord willing. You've heard that phrase before, haven't you? It's kind of an older phrase. A lot of newer folks don't use it, but it's very biblical. And you can phrase it how you want. You can say, God willing, or Lord willing, or if the Lord wills, or if God wills. And you can have other ways of saying it. The heartbeat is what matters. That we will refer to God's will, defer to God's will, and prefer God's will. In all, watch this now, watch this. This is sure of the theology. It's letting what we believe get all the way down to our feet. We're going to do this in all of our planning and preparation for how we live our day or our week or our year. We're not going to presume that we'll do everything we think we can do. Instead, we're going to what? Say it with me. Refer, defer, and prefer God's will. Let's put it in a sentence, can we? Here's how we've kind of worded it for today. How about reading this with me too? To fight pride and embrace humility... I will refer to God's will, defer to God's will, and prefer God's will. I know some of you say prefer, but for the sake of the sentence, we'll say prefer. Can we do that? It's kind of like display. Some of you say display and then display. Uh, So go with me on this, okay? So this is God's will showing itself, and rightly so, as authoritative over our way. And how do we then... When we see that and realize that, how do we come underneath that in a way that's, that's like, yeah, I've got all these plans, nothing wrong with them, but they may not all happen, and I don't want that to be a, a reason that later I blame God and accuse Him. See, this whole book really flows well together. I can't go through it all now. But when, when my plans don't happen, how will I know that I won't blame God and accuse Him and then not endure the trial? Because I'm going to refer to God's will, defer to God's will, and prefer God's will. This is such a practical shoe leather set of verses. Now, before I get to the challenge, let's, let's take a few questions. I'll grab a stool. We might settle in for maybe two, three, or four questions. Let's see if we have any. We have any, Ryan? He's nodding. I think we do. How do you contrast between God's will and the plans of your God-fearing family? I would start with the folks who are the God-ordained authority in the home, first of all. And when those two are unified, I would move forward with the um, humility that we'll plan this if the Lord wills. Now, if you're asking, really, what do you do when you have conflicts between the husband and the wife, I think you close the door and you have the conversations that are difficult and you've got to figure out a way to get to unity. I mean, I don't have a easy solution for that. I don't think you should do this. If this is what you're referring to. I don't think you should say, well, you do what you want and I'll do what we want. 
In some areas, that's just not healthy for your family. It's divisive. Does that make sense? I think one of those is like going to church. I think families should go to the same church together. Now, do I have a verse for that? I don't. It's a strong opinion. Uh, I believe it so deeply. I told one man in our church a few months ago, he was wondering if he should send his daughter to this church and he should come to this church. And it was either another church they were looking at. And I said, wait, 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 wait. All that's going to do is end up in divisiveness, an impossible schedule. You and your wife get together, figure out the best church for all of your needs under the Holy Spirit's leading and go there as one family to one place. And they did. It wasn't here, by the way. I was disappointed, but I liked their decision. Does that make sense? They hashed it out. Um, if that's not what you're referring to, the husband and wife disagreement, I'm not sure what the question may mean, but I would say you start um, with those who are called by God in Scripture to lead the home, which would be the husband and the wife, the mother and the father. I would use that as the um, way to know God's will for the family. I'm not sure if that's what they were asking, but we'll go with that answer. Number two, how can we know what the Lord's will is for us in a given circumstance? This is a very good question. I figured this would come up. First of all, God's will is revealed in His Word. Amen? So we'll always start there. And what is explicitly, implicitly, unallowed, prohibited, argued against in the Bible, don't come to me and say, well, it's God's will. It's not. I know a woman who said it was God's will for her to divorce her husband, but he had done nothing biblically wrong to merit her statement. So no matter what she said, it was not God's will. All right? So God's will is in his word. Then there are areas not addressed in God's word. That's where I believe. I wouldn't say that's not where it starts, but for sure, the Holy Spirit then leads God's children. But those are what we probably would call areas of freedom. Now, here's where I would land on that. I believe you probably have multiple good choices in a lot of these areas. And you probably, if you're loving God and seeking Him and obeying His Word, I would contend you won't make a bad choice. Now, does that mean you'll always succeed and it'll work perfectly? No. But God will not let his plan for you fail. Romans 8, 28, amen? All things will work together. You will be conformed to the image of his son. He'll use everything, good and bad, for that reason. So if you're loving God, pursuing holiness, you're obeying the Bible, and you have a choice to make, and it's not directly addressed Here's what I would say to you. Don't stress out like, oh my, I have to figure out the exact one God wants. He's probably giving you multiple good options. Take your pick and enjoy them. Does that make sense? Now, could God in that moment, let's say it's colleges. You're looking at University of Iowa, maybe a Christian college, and then maybe you know, Iowa State, let's say. And, and let's say all things being equal, they, they, either one would work for you, either of the three. Instead of saying, I, I, I'd better, God's trying to hide his will from me. He has one in mind, and if I don't figure it out, I'm going to miss it. And then you live in doubt day after day, and then you pick one, and you don't feel good about it because maybe something bad happens. You're like, oh, my goodness, I missed God's will. I don't believe that philosophy. Okay? Pick one under the freedom God has given you, and then have peace about it. Let the peace of God rule your heart, 
and enjoy it. If it doesn't go well and you want to make a new choice, you're free to do that as well. But I don't think you miss God's will in that. Is that okay? You follow me? Because nothing, nothing, nothing else violate God's uh, word. In that, could the Holy Spirit lead you to a specific one? Yes. And in that case, you might say, wow, the Holy Spirit's led me out of these three good choices which I could choose. I sense the Holy Spirit leading me strongly to this one. Uh, cyclones. All of you said amen to that, I'm sure, right? <laughs> you would be biblical to say, God's will for me is to attend Iowa State. But it's not because there's a verse that says it, it's because the Holy Spirit has led you. Does that make sense, right, guys? And that's perfectly fine. The Holy Spirit's given us by God for those purposes, okay? I think that can also happen in times when you meet people and the Holy Spirit nudges you towards conversations or maybe you're going to meet a need and the Holy Spirit nudges you. You have the opportunity to give to help someone. Sometimes you don't help someone. Were you out of God's will? Sometimes you do help someone. Does that mean you're in God's will more? No. The Holy Spirit will nudge you at times. The question is, will you be obedient to God's Spirit in areas of freedom when He nudges you? That at that point is God's will for you. And so follow it. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to bring this up, but I'll just do it because I like a little tension all the time, a little bit. Um, I know a lot of folks think there is one person for them to marry, you know, like the star search mentality. And so they're kind of, they're on this. And anyway, once you're married, listen, once you're married, you actually do believe that. You're like, I could live with no one else but you. And that's, that's good. But the truth is, Though God knows who you're going to marry and has ordained the events that lead to that, you probably have multiple options if they're all good, we'll use the word partner spouses, they're biblical. Like let's say you're looking at two or three guys. They're all going to be hard workers, provide, protect, they're going to fit in the understanding of what a man is. Then pray. God, which one as you date and as you... That's what I'm saying, guys. There's, there's areas that there's no single verse that says... Jennifer should marry Tim. That's not in the Bible, okay? But does God, God's Holy Spirit lead her to that relationship and say, here's the right man for you to marry? Yes. But if she's not on some star search, she's going to miss God's will about colleges. or The key is to be biblical within the realm and guidelines of the Bible and then be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if you'll do that, watch this. I, I, I would say to you, if you'll do that every step of the way, putting your way under God's will, then you will end up in God's will at the end of your life. But too often we project this idea that, okay, what is God's will? I've got to find it like there's some mystery universal search for something that God's trying to hide from us. And we miss how it impacts every day and we're just trying to find this thing way down the road and we live 20 years trying to find God's will. We wake up, we're frustrated and confused and God says, I've not been hiding anything from you. I just want you every day as you plan to bring all of your way under my will and I will lead you and get you where I need you to go. Okay? So, I hope that helps. God's word and God's Holy Spirit are two of the primary ways God shows us his will. There may be a few others, but I'll stick with those two for the answer. Let's go to one more question, can we? So can verse 7 to 14 apply to right things other than humility? Now that's a good question. I'm going to... Um, I'm, uh, <laughs> chances are going to defer. I'm, I'm going to defer to God's will on that. I think... I have to be true to the text here and tell you, I think it's, and I don't think it's sinful, but I think it's inappropriate and a misuse 
of the Bible to take this verse and use it to get your way in some wrong, in another way. I don't think that's right. Now, it's not sin, but but I I just I can't bring myself to say, let's lift this verse off the page and and tuck it over here so I can make it mean something that maybe James never intended to mean. Remember, in all interpretation, you have to ask yourself authorial intent. What was the author trying to say? And James here is trying to say this. The right thing to do is to be humble under God's will. And when you don't do that in your planning, you're sinning. That's what he's saying. So if it fits in that category, you're safe. But if it's just one of your strong suggestions you have and you want to make someone feel guilty for not lining up with you and you bring this verse out, that's not right. So I'm going to stick with the fact that I don't think 17 can apply to other right things unless it fits in the category of humbling yourself under God's will. Now, if you disagree with that, awesome. I always like a little tension so we can talk later. How does that sound? Is there one more, Ryan? We'll take one more if we can. Okay, good. I knew today would probably be the kind of day where there'd be a lot of questions, and so I just want to have extra time to kind of think those things through. If there are more and you want to talk about them, see me. We can talk afterwards. Elders are here. Our prayer team's here afterwards, and we'd love to talk through how we actually bring ourselves under God's will every single day in our planning. Here's a challenge for you this week. All right? And I'm actually going to give you a chance to practice it today. I want you to say this phrase for the next seven days because I want you to build a new habit. Okay? Now, I think the Bible is a wealth. It's, it's a canyon. It's a gold mine. We, we'll never exhaust it. I, I love the fact that you free me up to study it as much as I get to. I'm so thankful for you guys. And, and so you read a text, you get a lot out of it. You can compare words and contrasts and definitions. But sometimes in that, uh, we miss the obvious. And here's the obvious, James said. And I don't, I don't want to metaphoricalize this. He says, we ought to say. You see that? Verse 15, instead, we ought to say. So I take that to mean actually what it says, (laughs) that with this thing called our mouth, we ought to say something. What should we say? We should say, if the Lord wills. So I'm going to ask you this week to be blatantly obvious with your obedience to God's word. And I want you to say, even about things that you're planning to do that are actually good. Like, I mean, some of you are business owners. Like, going into a city and spending time there and making a profit. I want you to say instead, if the Lord wills, we're going to go to Texas and look at an office and maybe expand our business. Instead of, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Texas and open an office and expand my business. I would rather you say this, if the Lord wills, we're going to go to Texas and open an office and expand our business. Okay? Make sense? Man, this is not rocket science. Church is like, it's just shoe leather theology today. We experienced this in this church. We thought we were going to Utah to plant a church. Twice. <laughs> okay? All I can say is, and we still don't really have a lot of information. We're praying. We're humbling under God's will because apparently His will 
that wasn't our way. <laughs> At least not yet, right? So we're just going to say, God, your will first. And I'll be frank with you, it's true in this church. It was my way to start this church in 1996. Excuse me, 1998. It was God's will to start the church in 2004. It was actually the, 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 and these weren't bad things, by the way. They weren't evil things. They were good plans. The elders bought land. The church bought land. We were going to build new. Remember that? But it appears, and we believe it is, God's will that we kind of keep renovating and working this old warehouse to be the place we meet. And by the way, someone told me this week, they said, Todd, the, the three gems that God's given us, the way it's a tool for our city, man, you, you couldn't ask for a better space, Frank. And he, one of our former elders told me this past week, isn't this a great space for things that we want to do that just need wide open? And I know the walls here and different things aren't ideal. But hasn't this facility built into us a type of humility and contentment we would not have gained, perhaps, had we built a brand new ephodus edifice and said man look what we did now I want to say to you we wouldn't have said that but I know churches and sometimes in those moments people do the strangest things (laughs) see I think even this building has been an avenue for God to say I think I'll let my will be more important than your way and let's do this instead so we have to do this as a church and you have to do it individuals we have to say if the Lord wills so here's what I want you to do I want you to think of something you're planning to do today Go ahead. What's something you're planning to do today? And trust me, you're an American. You've got many answers to that question, right? What's something you're planning to do? Tell the person next to you, in light of what we've learned today, tell them what you're going to do today now. In light of the truth of referring, deferring, and preferring God's will, tell them what you're going to do today. Go ahead. I'll give you 15 seconds. There's your challenge right there. So what you just did, when you said, if the Lord's will, I'm going to go back for seconds at barbecue. Right? (laughs) You said, if the Lord wills, I'm going to purchase all the leftovers. Right? If the Lord wills, I'm going to see my son play soccer at 3.30. If the Lord wills, I'm leaving tomorrow for... Nashville if the Lord wills and you can fill the blanks in tomorrow next week next year I'm, I'm not here trying to change your plans do you know that I'm here to ask you to preface your plans with the spirit of humility that says you know what my way will come under God's will And I want to verbalize that every single time I talk about the things that are involved in my way, my day, whatever it is. So this week, every single time you're going to communicate your plans, would you try this? Would you try to say, if the Lord wills? Now, you may use a different phrase, God willing, Lord willing, if the Lord allows, however you want to word that. But I'm after a heart of humility here. That's what James is after too. Remember, this is not a checklist per se, like, oh, did you use the right word? It's really a heart check. And by the way, this is not a long pole by which we move God. We don't say, whoo, I said if the Lord wills, so I'll get my way now. (laughs) 
It's actually a short pole that moves you. Did you catch that? This heart, this phrase is not designed to move God. It's designed to move you. Where? Underneath God's will. So that when the most incredibly difficult things do happen, you can rest assured God's got you. It's far better to be under His will than in your way. Now, I, I'm going to end. But if, if, you're, if you've been here for any amount of months at all, you know we usually almost always end with some sense of like, how does this point to Christ? And, and, and you're probably already ahead of me here. Because who verbalized this best? Yeah, I mean, can we just be starkly amazed at how this text is actually what Jesus said at his most crucial hour? He said these words according to the Bible. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. If that's not a Lord willing attitude, I don't know what is. Amen? Wow. He said it. And if Jesus said it, to make sure as a man in all of his 100% humanity, he was coming underneath the Father's will, which was, according to Isaiah, to crush him and to offer him as the sacrifice for our sins. If that's what Jesus did to rebelize to the Father, your will is most important. Then does it not beckon us to verbalize the very same thing? It does. So there's your challenge. And as you do it this week, every day, you're modeling and following. Not a preacher's good idea or even, watch this, maybe a set of verses from James. You're following the example of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh.